Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth in Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm Adam Woodward. And I'm Sophie Monks-Kaufman. On the show this week, it's Olivia Wilde versus Florence Pugh in Don't Worry Darling. Hong Sang-soo explores the intersection between art and life in In Front of Your Face. And on Film Club, it's Cassavetti's 1974 classic, A Woman Under the Influence. All coming up on Truth in Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, welcome back to the pod. Although it feels a bit weird welcome you both back because you guys have been part of little white lies for way longer than i have so uh thank you for having me in a way oh Layla, the you know you fast eclipsed dust fast fast eclipsed dust that's not a phrase <laughs> <laughs> yeah now i am uh, as my husband said like a japanese knotweed you give me an inch and all of a sudden i'm all, I'm all over this stuff um but yeah i wanted to talk to you about this kind of weird little period that we're currently in Award season is ahead of us, but it now seems that we are in the season of the film discourse. With ever since Bodies, Bodies, Bodies came out, we've had Blonde, The Whale, The Woman King, The Sun. Uh, where do you come down on this as a film critic? And what is your relationship to all these discourses that emerge? Ooh, why don't you ask the hot button question, Layla? Um, well, personally, I I find the forum in which they tend to take place quite stressful, which is to say twitter.com. It's not the most like pleasant nurturing of town squares. So I tend to just stay that stay stay back in as much as I might have as much views as the next man, woman or child. What about you, Adam? Um <laughs> well, I was I was going to I was going to say I'm inclined to agree. I mean, um the discourses that you refer to, Leila, I'm I'm not fully across, so I I can sort of you know I can sort of fill in the blanks maybe and assume. I think I've seen there's I've seen some chat around Blonde. I think that is a, a film which you know has uh, has courted controversy long before it was even it was even kind of being you know screened uh, uh, to press and and being the, the talk of these festivals. So you know even even when it was in development and when the kind of initial casting came out people were were sort of quite getting quite rabid about it and i think it's probably a film which doesn't lend itself to this very you know tribalistic kind of binary uh discourse if you want to call it or conversation that that generally is uh is is kicked up by these kind of films but you know it's it's a good thing i mean the film we're going to be talking about today kind of discourse for 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 a different reason i suppose like more more of a sort of I mean, the, the the discourse has not really been around the, the the contents of the film, as opposed to the bizarre circumstances around the kind of making of and then the subsequent promotion of. Um, 
but yeah, I think I'm, I'm not sure which one I I prefer less. To be honest, the kind of it's it just it's it's all just people kind of banging their heads against the wall. So it does seem so. I mean, with this one, don't worry, darling, we won't get into it. But it did seem that there was essentially what was a kind of bit of a you know playful Hollywood scandal gossipy thing, and then all of a sudden there's this the content machines has to extrapolate outwards and make this all about feminism and what does this say about us all as a society rather than letting us enjoy some kind of slightly you know bitchy instagrams that are that people are putting out there but like sophie do you feel as a critic that like once you've written your review it's done you've said your piece or are you interested in like ever having a dialogue post that that's a very uh, probing and searching question i think it depends how i feel about the film I do hate Blonde quite a lot. Um, and I think I'm maybe a little bit less open-minded there, to my own detriment. Um, but I, I think we've managed to have some civil disagreements about it, unlike with Frederick Wiseman's Uncouple, which you've refused to see since. Um, so, but um, I think, yeah, I, I, uh, I think it, yeah, it would be a, a wonderful thing to be more, more open, even on films that one does truly hate. But there's just something about that film that really really bothers me not just the film but also the interviews that I've seen he's given to people who have had more challenging questions like Andrew Dominic he just uh you know seems incapable of not showing his ass in those situations and for me exposing the core thorny issue which is that he doesn't seem to respect Marilyn not as a person not as an actor so I just I kind of this like veil of red descends whenever anyone uses the phrase blonde and even though someone might be making a series of salient points all I think is like kill 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 oh so it's good that you spend less time on Twitter than (laughs) (laughs) I would just add to that per your question later I think if, if you're talking about a review, if I've written a review and I've put that out and I've, I've shared it on Twitter, I'm quite happy for people to kind of, you know, take that as they want and maybe disagree with it. Or, you know, if, if it encourages someone to sort of see the film and engage in some kind of discourse, that's great. I don't really want anyone to like, you know, enter any discourse or dialogue about the review itself. I'm happy to talk about the film and to be kind of persuaded otherwise, you know, against any opinion I might have given. But I think that's that's kind of mainly what you're talking about here, right? It's like the the conversation often comes back around to specific reviews, and I'm not I'm not sure that's ever like that constructive or that helpful. I think it's kind of like people putting their opinions out, even if even if they're bad opinions or they're wrong, in in, in you know in in the kind of you know wider in in the kind of wider court of uh, of, of social media. It's like. I don't, I don't really care. If someone disagrees with me, that's fine. I don't really need to engage in any kind of dialogue about it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that people don't at him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, you fine. can at me, but don't expect me to, uh, don't expect me to reply. He, you, Adam will respond to uh, a weak or strong puns. This is true. This is true. Well, I luckily... The, I do, the, the weaker, uh, the better. I, I do have uh, a lot of fun getting the emails from some of the listeners here talking about our podcast. So please keep up that discourse, um, even if uh, some of the rest of it should be cast into the sea. Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. 
Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to our Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of the plans. Now on to the movies. A 1950s housewife living with her husband in a utopian community begins to worry that his glamorous company might be hiding disturbing secrets. So, Sophie, it's been a couple of weeks since uh, you you saw this at the Venice Film Festival. Um, kind of at the time, the media frenzy was absolutely crazy around it. Um, but what did you think of the film itself? I was quite underwhelmed, with exception of the always oh, consistently great Florence Pugh. Um, I think these kind of dystopian satires where there's a perfect surface but things are not all that they seem they kind of rely upon the 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 reveal of that whatever it is that is underneath all of this being quite like a shiver like sending a shiver through you like connect, connecting on quite a guttural level and making you feel quite sick and i think this film it pulls off the the flashy perfect surface beautifully um saluting everyone involved in the production design the costume design it's a very good looking film but for me, that reveal of what's really going on is like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, that kind of tracks. It didn't really produce an, a strong emotional aversion or like a sense that, oh yeah, this film has gotten to the core of something very real and wrong in our own society. It just, it's just sort of lacked that heft. It, it left, lacked that um, gut punch feeling. Um, yeah, there's quite a lot of time spent before the reveal, but it's fair to say that it's like, there's always something amiss. There's never really any sense that this is just an ordinary 1950s community. Yeah, because Florence Pugh cracks some eggs and there are no eggs in them. And that doesn't even make any sense. Like, it doesn't really connect with anything. It's just like some weird idea that someone came up with. Um, and it is weird. Yeah, uh, uh, there is, and it, and it kind of lags. And I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of legend about how this script has been circulating for a long while and people read the original script and actually the third act has been lopped off it and that makes a lot of sense watching this film as there is a repetition of a lot of certain images that are going on in in like Florence Pugh's subconscious and that there is maybe half an hour in the film and I was just extremely bored which is a strange thing to happen in a film that is got so much going on in it so yeah, I don't know. I just don't know. Adam, you saw it more I, recently. Yeah, you? I saw it like um, last week. Um, so it's a little bit fresher. I'd, I'd say it does, definitely does um, suffer from a, a pacing issue, so, certainly in the kind of middle section. And actually the ending, the kind of, you know, twist ending without giving anything away, is it, it is quite a kind of screeching, a very abrupt moment in the film. I mean, it's a kind of like M. Night Shyamalan-esque you know, completely pulling the rug from under you. But I, I'm not sure it really clicked with me. I, I think it's sort of, you know, I, I remember seeing the trailer and actually it's one of those films, and I think this is increasingly a, a, a bit of a, a bane of, of Hollywood, but one of these films where you can see and pick out moments. I mean, The Empty Eggs, I think Sophie gave is a good example, but it feels like it's been inserted just to be put in a trailer or to be like gift. Um mm-hmm. There's there's loads of moments which are kind of non sequiturs and and they don't they don't really like add up to anything, but I think watching the trailer first time around a few months back I was like 
oh, okay, they're, they're kind of doing like a Stepford Wives thing. And then watching the film, it's like, oh, right, it is just the Stepford Wives, basically. I mean, they're not, they're not like, maybe they're not robots in this, but they've kind of updated the tech. Oh, spoiler for the say. Stepford Wives! <laughs> but that, no, but the Stepford Wives ends on a kind of ellipsis, right? And it's, it's a, I, I mean, this, this doesn't, this kind of goes a bit further than that, I'd say. Um, but you know, it's it's the the one thing I would say in its favour, and, and you've mentioned the like production design and costumes, but the setting. I think Palm Springs like is a really perfect setting for this, and that very kind of alluring but eerie mid-century, clean angular architecture, and all the kind of pristine front lawns and the swaying palm trees and everything. It, it definitely like adds something visually and kind of aesthetically to this. But I'd like I'd like for them to have gone a little bit deeper. I feel like it it, it partly feels like you know you're you're sort of seeing things play out in this very sedate way and and i think you know they they don't really do as much with the setting as i would have liked them to basically yeah to me it felt that like you know something like get out is obviously playing a lot of tribute to the stepford wives and if you've seen get out and you've seen stepford wives and if you've seen things if you've just seen a couple of seasons of, of of black mirror um, like that kind of, you know, heavy handed satirical twist at the end does work if it's kind of done with a bit of thought. But this just seemed to me to be almost like a film for somebody who watches one or two films a year and like really likes Harry Styles, maybe. Oh, um, wow. yeah. <laughs> Sophie, like, I mean... this is quite a wild card. Yeah, sorry, there's that. I like Harry Styles. Sure, he seems fun. Um, but. Sophie, this is quite a wild cast. You know, obviously we've got like Florence Pugh, who's, you know, one of one of our finest and you know, some serious actors along with pop stars. And then like Nick Kroll, <laughs> who's like, you know, a very broad comedy guy. Like, did, did their kind of different styles work for you? For me, the issue wasn't the different acting styles. It was the lack of directing uh, of those styles it was in a way a dystopian hangout movie you know just lots of really well-dressed people harboring dark secrets hanging out and it just didn't deepen so for, for, I guess from the acting character point of view there were there were with the exception of Florence Pugh who, who sort of sketches a real character out of nothing there there wasn't there wasn't really anywhere for the the performances to go um so it in a way like it didn't even occur to me to sort of be jarred but apart from harry styles uh, i was jarred by him um just simply because he's very 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 flat very mm. very flat performer uh, extremely flat performer but uh, uh and he was of course having to do the unenviable ta- unenviable task of act up in florence p but with the exception of uh styles yeah, I, I don't know. It wasn't. It wasn't the, the acting again. It was a sort of characterization that was an issue for me. Just on Harry Styles, I think he he's an interesting one. I think he kind of works to some degree in this role. I haven't really seen him in much. I mean, he was in Dunkirk for for a minute, wasn't he? You know, he's he's one of those guys you look at and you say he's he's a pop star. He's very very good being that he's very talented don't want to knock him in in that sense but as an actor I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with his like line delivery I wasn't sat there kind of cringing but there's just something that he's lacking and I think it is just that kind of movie star quality I mean when when Chris Pine is on screen Chris Pine 
is like a movie star, you know. He, he might not get these kind of major Star Trek level like leading roles these days, but as soon as he appears on screen, he has this presence and he has this massive head. He has a movie star head. It's huge. It's really craggy and big and lovely. And Harry Styles has this kind of quite, you know, he's a bit he's a bit more kind of svelte and he doesn't really like dominate the screen in the same way. And I think there's just, you know, there's no shame in that. But I think it's it's this thing of like, we're, we're going to cast people for their sort of, you know, social media numbers rather than their actual talent. And I think as soon as you go, you go down that direction, you kind of scuff yourself a little bit. But, you know, th- there is something in Harry Styles' character, which is, you know, he's doing like a British act. He's doing his own accent, basically. He's doing like a British accent. And uh, is it is that what it is? Because. When, yeah, I was, it is. I had, yeah, I had to go to the breast drunkard for this, and I could not make hide or hair of his accent in that speaking normally. And it was the same one from the film. And it's like my husband's from Cheshire. Like I've spent a lot of time there. What has happened to this accent? Is this just it's, it's maybe slightly affected, California? but it's 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 meant to be. A, it's a British accent. Um, but but you know, saying that, there's something quite apropos about the fact that he is. You know, by the end of the film, you realise that him sort of trying to convince us that he's something that he's not, it kind of makes sense. So it's a it's a weird one. I think the I think the the, the narrative of the film, the kind of twist of the film, actually, it it kind of is a, an excuse for some of the more stilted performances. And Florence Pugh, I mean, it's her film, and she completely carries it. I mean, there is there's very little there without her, and it's a sort of film that, like a wet tissue, just kind of falls apart at the first, you know, probing. But it's it. I think I think it is definitely like stronger for her being in it, um, and the performances don't really add up to anything because they they don't really need to. Is is the reality of it? I ha- I heard an interesting perspective from someone just kind of saying she wants the film to be good because she wants there to be more films like this to be made, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of like interesting, interesting, glossy studio movies. And so I it, I am gutted that I didn't like it more because it's exactly the kind of film that I do wish there were more of. It just, there's just, some, there's just something that doesn't cohere. And I love The Stepford Wives and I wished I was watching it while I was watching this because even though, like, you know that that's now well the the tv film came out in 1975 the book must have been before it's old it's still it gives me that chill feeling and i just i missed that i missed that and the kind of the reveal such as it is it doesn't feel like anyone has gone digging into some like new ground it's just like here's a topical twist this will this will land people will understand the terminology and the landscape of this it feels deeply underwhelming and I love to be creeped out and I was not creeped out apart from by Harry Styles hair (laughs) yeah it does I mean it is not an easy task when you're trying to kind of so clearly like mirror the feeling of the day and like this sort of I don't know depict the patriarch in a way where we kind of see how terrible it is but also like hold it to be quite pathetic and I do think Chris Pine does kind of nail that with his sort of ode to Jordan Peterson but it just felt so uninteresting to me at all of the places it went. I don't think it really had much to say that wasn't, you know, really obvious. Yeah, it's re mm-hmm. it's rehashing a lot of um 
a lot of ideas and imagery from superior films. Well, we should get some scores on this. Um, Sophie, do you want to go first in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect? In anticipation, three. Enjoyment, two. Retrospect, two. It's a sad little crop of scores. (laughs) Adam, what about you? Um, probably a three in, in anticipation, although any, any kind of script which has been touted as being on the, on the blacklist generally for me is like a, a red flag straight away. Um, I'd give, I'd give a three just on the strength of Florence Pugh's performance and then a, definitely a, t- a two in retrospect. It's, it's certainly not something I'd, I'd rush to revisit. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I think for one of the rare times, I'm actually in perfect agreement with Sophie. Three, two, two. <laughs> they said it could never happen. Yeah, uh, well, because also as much as like, I kind of expected to come into this and then enjoy it and then never think about it again. But I actually didn't even enjoy it that much. I didn't think it was pretty, it was really dull for a lot of it. Um, and yeah, certainly the twist ending I mean, you said M. Night Shyamalan earlier, Adam. I mean, like, she wishes that she could even oh, yeah. get to the level of the twist in, like, The Visit. Or, or what's the other one? The Village. Any of them? Ooh, love The mm. Village. I like Love The yeah. Village. Love The, the village. village. The Village is underrated. Mm. Okay. Next up, In Front of Your Face. <laughs> 45 Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A former actress with a secret returns to Seoul, South Korea to live with her sister in a high-rise apartment. After considering a return to acting, she meets with a young director who he asks to join her project. So, Adam, we've gone from something that has got a very kind of shiny surface and maybe not that much underneath to uh, something quite understated. Um, How did you find In Front of Your Face? Yeah, so this is the latest from uh, South Korea's 
Hong Sang Soo, who is is a, a fairly prolific. He sort of knocks out a film probably every year. Um, in fact, his latest, he's got one that's been made since this, which I think premiered in Berlin earlier this year, which has got the same um, lead actress, Lee Hai Young, in it. So in, interested to see that because I don't think she's been in any of his films before. He usually casts kind of younger actors. So it's interesting focusing on a, a, a slightly older um, actress who I think was quite famous herself in Korea, especially in the 80s and 90s, and, and has kind of acted less and it sort of follows the the narrative of this with her returning she's been living i think in um in america in washington dc and she comes she comes to korea and you know becomes kind of re- reacquainted with her sister and it's it's just a very you know hong makes these very gentle um very kind of simple films really and 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 they kind of lull, lull you in in this really interesting way i think it, it, you know it, he doesn't really give a lot of kind of attention is not the right word, but it's just the way he kind of like sets his films up and the composition There's very, I mean, understated is the perfect word because there's no kind of frills to any of his filmmaking. Um, there's very kind of minimal use of score. You know, it's, it's often very kind of like naturally lit. And so you're watching these quite often really quite banal and mundane everyday scenes unfold often you know quite extended periods of, of, of the film's runtime even though they're usually like 90 minutes or something and uh and and yeah there's there's something that this kind of beautifully observed way that he that he films his actors and 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 the scripts that he writes for them just kind of lend, lend themselves to these wonderful sort of moments of poignancy and just kind of emotional connection between the characters this kind of culminates in an, in an amazing scene which is like the last kind of half an hour or so of the film where where she's she's speaking to this filmmaker in a bar and he's trying to convince her to to come back and do this project and you know she kind of reveals really her reasons then for coming back to Korea and and, and this sort of wistful tone um, that is sort of following her around, and yeah, it's just a it's a very it's a very kind of calm and elegant and, and beautiful film, I think, and it's really really great performance, um, as I say, from Lee Ha Young in, in in the central role. I think certainly not someone I was that familiar with, um, but yeah, that would definitely his his new one is called the Novelists' Film. Again, like a great title, but I definitely will like be searching that out after this off, off the strength of her performance. Oh, okay. I can't wait to see this. I'm glad that I couldn't watch it before the podcast. But listening to you talk just then, Adam, um, it it really did take me back into the world of his films. And tell me if this is what I'm saying. It's the piece with this one. He just kind of manages to bring to life like very delicate interpersonal mood. So you feel the, the connection between people and how those connections are built just purely out of conversation and and often out of delicious food. Is there delicious food in this one? There is. There's well. There's there's a there's a scene where she's kind of always saying like, "Oh, I'm not hungry," and then they go and order like a big Chinese meal and um, or yeah. solid it, noodles. There's, yeah, there's lots of like good noodle action. Um, it's it's yeah, it's that kind of thing of like obviously it's it's a big part of of like South Korean culture as well, right? So you, it's a very social kind of thing, eating in that way and. Um, I think he's really good at structuring these scenes. I mean, it's not like the food plays a big part of the, of the of the scene in the bar later on, but I think you could easily 
try and film that without these little interjections of someone saying, oh, are you hungry? Oh, there's like a Chinese over the road and I'll, I'll pop over. And, you know, it's just these little moments kind of almost like punctuate the actually quite melancholy vibe that he's going for and just add this kind of very normal light feeling that that kind of helps to kind of carry things along and, and keep keeps the pace going because that because you know they're, they're quite even they're like usually as i say sort of 90 minutes or, or under that they're, they're, they're quite they're quite slow films hong's films usually mm-hmm. you know there's, there's they're not big on on kind of big dramatic moments or action or anything like that so you know this is definitely you know within within his kind of wheelhouse of of you know if you've if, if listeners have seen any of his films then you'll kind of know what to expect but um i'd say if you if you're new to hong this probably isn't a bad place to start um you know as i say he's he's made like 30 plus films in the last sort of 20 years so you know there's there's a really rich back catalog there to explore i i kind of came into this um quite tired and kind of mid-covid recovery when i had my schooner and i was a little bit kind of like oh dear god do i have the brain capacity for some contemplative cinema but i think there's such a kind of interesting suspense of information like i suppose it's the best kind of character study which is like you're just desperate to know what the unspoken thing between two people are and he does kind of tease it out and tease it out and when it finally you know that bar scene for the final bit of this film um where you do find out a lot of things you know i had to keep rewinding just because you know just to really kind of get a grasp on 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 what was happening but sophie you've uh, you've obviously been a fan of his work before like what is it that you connect to so the last film of his i saw was probably one of my favorites which is the woman who ran and uh it, it made waves at Berlinale because there was an absolutely sensational cat performance in it uh, that Hon Sang-soo said in the press conference was captured in the first cake. First cake, first take. Um, so, you know, he, he gets the performances out of people when animals are like. But the thing I respond to is is the gentle humanism, the kind of the meditative rhythms. Like you say, Layla, you, could, you might be like, oh, am I really in the mood for something that's going to potentially be like quite minor but actually he makes the minor major by slowing you as the viewer down um and i would say he does it in a way that's you know it's it's quite subtle it, it's not like there's a lot of slow cinema or naturalistic cinema where it does feel like you have to sort of dive into their world but i think he envelops you he pulls you in using sort of daily intrigue and by the end you just I just tend to feel like some nice feelings in my heart that I like to feel. Um, people compare him a lot to Eric Romer, and I, I can see that. Certainly, I can see that. Yeah, definitely. Should we get some scores on this before we move on to something not very cheery, but, you know, we'll, we'll do it. Adam, do you want to go? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd probably actually say a three in in anticipation. Not not because I, I wouldn't be kind of excited to see one of his films, but there's there is definitely a sense of like you you know what you get with Hong, and it's not that's not a, that's not a kind of bad thing. But I think I, I would struggle to get kind of overly excited for one of his films. But then you know it's like re, being reacquainted with an old friend. It's it's wonderful in the moment. Um, so probably a four uh, for enjoyment. And in, in retrospect. Uh, I'd probably teeter somewhere between a three and a four. I, th- I think his films are so beautifully self-contained, and they definitely leave you with with feelings. But um, I'm I'm not sure this is maybe like one of his str- strongest. I think he's 
his kind of like hot hot streak in the kind of early early to mid noughties is probably my favorite period of him so maybe start with like the day he arrives and in another country and and kind of go from there if if you're just discovering Hong for the first time um I think I'm probably at a four because David in anticipation because David Jenkins told me it was one of his best uh maybe a three in enjoyment would not suggest this is a film to watch whilst exhausted at the end of the day. This is something to kind of come to with like freshness and enthusiasm and optimism, which I was slightly lacking. And yeah, for in retrospect, I think particularly um, the final act, um, I thought was really stunningly done and 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 it stayed with me. A woman under the influence. Mabel Longhead is married to a Los Angeles municipal construction worker, Nick. Increasingly unstable, especially in the company of others, she craves happiness, but her behaviour convinces Nick that she poses a danger to their family and he decides to commit her to an institution. Along with a trio of kids that he can raise on his own, he awaits for her return, which holds more than a few surprises. So Sophie, I was messaging you whilst watching this saying that I was kind of spiralling into a pit of despair and from which I didn't know if I could imagine. <laughs> you seemed unsurprised, so I assume you also think this is a brilliant and devastating film? Yes, I do. I am a huge fan of the John Cassavetes jenna Rowlands creative partnership, which includes this film, it includes Love Streams, it includes Opening Night, it includes Gloria, and... With the exception of Gloria, which is kind of interesting, it's like her on the run with a kid. It's more of a interesting genre film, although still with a lot of his core themes. He he uh, gives Jenna Rowlands, and they were together in life as well as in our these roles of these incredible women who are larger than life, cannot be contained by life, are like misunderstood and yet keep rolling, barreling through and. Um, it's a sensational, sensational uh, partnership that is still one of my favourite in, in all of cinema. Um, I find a woman under the influence harder than Love Streams and Opening Night because, yeah, like the, the, there are some kinder characters I, I think in those two other titles I mentioned. Whereas here, I, I feel like Peter Falk not necessarily through any malevolence, just through, like, exasperation and not knowing what to do. I I find he's so cruel to her. Um, And that's very hard to watch when you know that someone is vulnerable and you know that they're unwell and you know that they need support and they don't get it. They just kind of get shut down again and again and again and again. But I want to know what you think as someone just coming into this... The, the Cassavetes Rowlands world for the first time. How did it hit you? How did well, she hit you? Um, well, yeah, no, you're right, actually. The only Cassavetes films I've seen she hasn't been in. Um, I know, I found every, it's, it's, it's horrendous, particularly as a person who um, often questions, um, I don't know, the, their place in the world and feels like they are out of step with everything. Um, but... A part, of, a part of me came out wondering whether how timeless this was, I suppose, because I suppose like the the relationship with mental health has changed so much in like the decades since. Um, but what I kind of couldn't shake of it that I still feel that like that that feeling of being so alienated 
of being misunderstood and like, like the casual cruelty that you can get just from your immediate support network is like genuinely harrowing and like yeah very difficult to to, to kind of contemplate uh adam so hopefully you're <laughs> going to be less of an emotional mess when talking about this yeah no i mean it's it's a few years I actually rewatched this at the start of lockdown, like first lockdown. So it's it's, it's a couple of years. <laughs> Just yeah, to get I, you in the mood. <laughs> I, oh yeah, I basically exclusively watched like depressing films for that for about six months. It was great. Um, it's yeah. It's I, I think like the, the Peter Falk character is interesting. I, I think you certainly feel sympathy towards him because he's this kind of you know blue collar guy. He's he's out kind of working all day, and and he's basically like just not equipped with the tools to to handle this this woman who, as Sophie said, you know, challenges him, and obviously wants more for herself and her family, and is also going through this this kind of you know very fraught kind of mental episode, and he just does not know how to handle it, and and a lot of the times the things the way he responds is kind of you know it it feels cruel, but it's kind of out of this desperation I, th- I think rather than any kind of maliciousness. Um, so it's a really, you know, that that makes it a really tough watch, I think, because you, you always sense there's this genuine, like, love there. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of Cassavetti's films. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Gina Rowland, what, what what more can you say about her in this role? I think, I think it's just extraordinary. Oh, God. It's, it holds up so well. I mean, the, this, this, the bit that always gets me is, like, she kind of returns, she, she, you know, she gets kind of packed off to this psychiatric hospital and... and when she kind of returns from there, from from that moment, the, the the film just kind of just hits a different level for me, I think, and and her performance especially. Uh, one of the things that I read about this was this was originally conceived as a play for Gina Rowlands, but then it was just simply understood that this was not something that she could put herself through every night, being the actress that she is, and how much she had to give to this performance. Did you see that in that? She just leaves nothing on the table. She goes inside herself. She finds, like, shades, notes. I think one of the most exciting qualities an actor can have is to be unpredictable. She always brings that. I think that's what makes us a captivating moment on moment. You don't know exactly what note she's going to hit, when she's going to go big, when she's going to go small, when she's going to find a like a sort of like a humor to the situation. She's got such control. She's got such range. Um, she's just quite simply one of the greatest actresses to have ever lived, and I'm glad they didn't make her do that every night on stage. Although I will say that's a good thematic link to opening night, which I really recommend as well. Um, Layla's just been plunged into darkness but perhaps uh, <laughs> out of sheer empathy for what Jenna Rowlands goes through <laughs> um, because in that she actually does play a theatre actress who is sort of like mentally unravelling um, and it yeah it's it sort of touches on similar themes but it, it's kind of for, for me A Woman Under the Influence is, is a film that even though a lot of people regard it as her, her the, the, the peak of their partnership his most famous film etc it's it, it can't be mine because I just do find it so like the thing I look for and that I don't find in it is that kind of like respite in the human bonds whereas you get a bit more of that in opening night and in my favorite of all their films love streams you get so much of that yeah definitely um, and that kind of and that kind of counterbalances the like the, the vision of someone spiraling in their own unhappiness you, you don't get much salve for that in a woman under the influence there's a bit there's a bit more catharsis isn't there certainly in opening night um but yeah i think i think this this is probably quite quite rightly remembered as as possibly the pinnacle of their you know partnership together as as a as a sort of creative force 
Um, but they made like, I mean, they, he didn't make that many films. I think pretty much every film he made, she has some kind of part in. Um, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is 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 one of my faves with the great Ben Gazzara. So I, I definitely, I think he he kind of made these in in quite quick succession. So definitely seek that out as well. But yeah, I think I think this one it just holds up as a as a landmark of of that of that kind of style of of um, quite kind of you know in terms of the the general like setting and aesthetic quite kind of low key mm-hmm. it just like creates this 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 perfect setting this perfect platform for this performance and you know it's a style we see emulated i think now increasingly you know there's there's lots of filmmakers doing this kind of Cassavetes thing and i think we mentioned earlier before we started recording later about like who would be a kind of contemporary couple equivalent to, to Rollins and, and Cassavetes and we, we mentioned maybe like Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig and I think their films I know which aren't... is like if you order them off Wish yeah exactly <laughs> but, but you know but, but Baumbach is a filmmaker like them, but it does seem like yeah, yeah. sorry yeah. but he's, he's definitely it's very of... fruitful yeah but, but, <laughs> but Baumbach as a filmmaker is someone who is definitely kind of from the Cassavetes school I think um, I'm interesting to hear you say more on that because you know, Casper for me is so much about those really, really long, like uncomfortably long takes until you're you've kind of you've gone with the character. You've almost peeled back their skin with them. Whereas yeah, yeah. for me, like bound back is much more a little bit like polished chit chat, chit chat, chit chat. I mean, Definitely. I like Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach together, but I agree. There's there's something so raw about these two together, which to me almost seems to speak to like a level of like trust. And like, well, their kind of director muse relationship often seems like a very like parasitic one. This just feels like two people that are perfectly understanding what they're both doing. If that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I think definitely with with regards to his the way he scripts and, and writes dialogue is, is is I mean that's very much his own thing. I think, but just just like particularly, I think Marriage Story and the Mervit stories as well. They, they for me are definitely borrowing from that milieu of like, you know, kind of quite ordinary everyday kind of American settings and and, and you know, couples sort of working through their problems. I haven't seen White Noise yet. That was a was it, was that at Venice? Yeah, it was the it opening lot. film. Of course, yes. Yeah. So that, up that, for me. That 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 feels like certainly from from the from the look of it a, a bit a bit different, a bit more of a departure from from sort of marriage story type material but you know I, I think that there's maybe no you know Cassavetes is, is quite a kind of singular figure in independent American film so I don't think there's anyone who's like the natural heir to him but there's definitely you can see the echoes of his of his style and his aesthetic in, in some contemporary films I think you know everything he did in life was in service of making his own independent cinema you know he would make he would act in films so that he could then make his own films he exactly was... yeah he was like in it to give it his everything. Um, it seems rare to see so little ego on the screen in a weird way. Obviously, he's got a very singular vision, but like, sorry, just coming back to like the bone back of it all, like, you could just so often, like, you feel with directors, particularly when they're working with someone they're a partnership with, sort of cast themselves in it in their sort of a heroism and like, oh, isn't this guy who's Adam Driver playing is, you know. <laughs> He's great, isn't he? People keep telling him he's a genius. <laughs> Ladies seem to be really interested in this guy. So to actually, I mean, obviously this isn't based on their real lives, but like to 
do something much more difficult and disturbing with that Peter Falk character, I think speaks to like a real bravery on Cassavetti's part. Yes, Layla. Yes, Layla. Yes, you get it. And now you can go and watch Love Streams and you're going <laughs> to you're gonna love it so much. It's so beautiful. And John Cassavetti's actually acts in it as well. Hmm. So we're saying that this is a little bit maybe too not... Uh, too dark to be your top tier Cassavetes you want us to kind of leave with a little hope in our hearts (laughs) I mean again I don't want to take anything away from it it's an incredible tower and film it's just very 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 sad and um you know I I, I think uh yeah like I say for me love streams that's it that's that's the final film he made before he died and it's 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 it's, I put it in my sight and sound top 10 it's just an incredible perfect film that's yes it's full of sadness but it's it's a brother and sister relationship that 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 is the thing that these two very broken people have. Like she plays a woman whose like marriage is breaking down and she's losing her daughter, um, and he plays this like wolfish alcoholic, and that they're, they're both very very alone. Um, but the tenderness they show each other just like is absolutely heart meltingly beautiful. And they can't save each other, but they try to help each other and. There's also an incredible scene at Animal Farm. Just a perfect film. So, Adam, what about you? If people are kind of, you know, having enjoyed, well, maybe not enjoyed, endured and (laughs) admired Woman Under the Influence, where would you suggest they go next? Well, I think think it's a good... It's it's sort of the the beginning of, not the end of his career, but this amazing run with Killing of a Chinese Bookie, Opening Night, Glory and Love Streams, which is like... I mean, you could kind of just go with any of those, basically. And and he, I mean, his films are all kind of tough. Maybe not as hard going as this, but they they def they definitely kind of challenge you. But um, I don't know. I, there's, a, there's a slightly earlier one called Minion Moscovitz, which I really love, which is which is a sort of more zany, um, not not quite a kind of hangout movie, but it's but it's this it's this sort of very uh, yeah, very, much more kind of ramshackle picture with 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 Rollins and Seymour Cassell. Uh, as a kind of like drunken um, parking attendant Um, and and they they sort of yeah they sort of become acquainted in this very strange way and become romantically entangled and yeah it's 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 a it's a slightly different film um, from from his usual thing but that's yeah that's a that's a big favorite of mine it's very it's very funny it's it's much more kind of you, you come away with that with a much more kind of happy feeling I'd say also, I've got to ask, you had, you said that you watched nothing but like really depressing films at the beginning of the pandemic. Was this the most depressing or what was like the absolute kind of apex slash nadir for you? Oh, no. I was, I, um, oh, good question. No, just, just I basically watched a lot of kind of, you know, American kind of 70s you know, men running errands and getting in, in, in hot water, like kind of... Uh, friends of eddie coyle level kind of just just not not like unrelentingly bleak but definitely sort of lot, lot, lots of sort of political political thrillers um things like the parallax view which is which has got one of the most amazing like sort of yeah that that i mean that is a quite a kind of bleak ending but th- those kind of films basically like really basically like really well made like high high craft but kind of quite uh yeah quite quite not exactly like feel good i i have to say after after a very bleak 
Venice Film Festival and this. I, I am solely after feel good. So Sophie, you're going to have to send me some things to warm my heart. I will do so. So if you've got thoughts on these films, email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, we'll find out what happens when Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. Peter Strickland hosts an unconventional dinner in Flux Gourmet. And for Film Club, it's Peter Greenaway's grotesque gastro... That's a hard thing to say. And for Film Club, it's Peter Greenaway's grotesque gastro satire, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Adam Woodward and Sophie Monks Kaufman. The podcast is hosted by TCO London and edited by Jake Cunningham. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.